Hi guys, welcome to the Thriving Podcast. I wanted to talk about um, the mismatch I referred to in an earlier podcast between the way we were, the way we evolved to live, uh, the way we are designed based on our evolution, which is a mismatch with the way we currently live in a modern industrial society. So for the past at least 40 to 50,000 years, human beings have been genetically pretty much unchanged. So people living today are genetically the same as human beings from 40 to 50,000 years ago. Now, there have been human beings for more than that, for two or 300,000 years, but there may have been some genetic differences if we go back further. So it could even be longer than that. So a person living, a human being living 40 to 50,000 years ago, or even a human being living 30 or 20,000 years ago, was extremely strong. Their grip strength, if anyone had bothered to measure it, would have been three or four times what a normal grip strength is today. They did not have diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, obesity, cancer, multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, um, constipation, bad period cramps, all sorts of things. Actually, I have no idea about the period cramps. I just threw that in. Um, but all the diseases and conditions that we consider to be quite common or that are quite common didn't exist. I mean, okay, maybe they did exist once in a blue moon, but it was very, very rare to have any of those conditions. Cancers were virtually unknown. And as we all know, that's changed dramatically. But in the last 20 or 30 years, it's changed even more dramatically. So if you go back to your grandparents' generation, um, people had those diseases, but they weren't super common. It wasn't like a huge, huge public health concern. When I was at high school, so I'm 57 now, we're talking 40 years ago, there was hardly anyone in my class who was overweight, and if they were, it was a tiny bit. There was hardly anyone who had really, really bad acne. And the people, all my um, people in, in my classes, their parents didn't have those conditions because they were too young. Those conditions of diabetes and high blood pressure and heart disease belonged to our grandparents, so people in their 70s. But now they're happening you can get type 2 diabetes in children. That's unheard of. That is literally only 20 to 30 years that that's begun so that these chronic diseases that we associate with being older have started to get younger and younger and younger. It started with 70-odd-year-olds, then it was 60-year-olds, then it was 50-year-olds. So what's going on? Clearly it's not genetic. First of all, that's way too quick of a change to be genetic. Even if you forget about the 40,000 years, if you just look at the last 20 or 30 years, the changes in um, ADHD and autism are huge, just phenomenal increases. Now, no one can argue 
that that's genetic, a change that's occurred in 20 or 30 years. So what is it? Um, well, these diseases that I mentioned are often referred to as diseases of captivity or diseases of civilization, and that's what they are. They are caused by us living an unnatural life. We're not in captivity in the sense that we're behind bars, but we are living a life that's similar to the life of an animal that's in a zoo. Now, it's a very large zoo, and you can go all around the world in your zoo, but there aren't very many humans alive today who are actually living in nature who are actually living off the land the way humans lived for eons upon eons, who are drinking water from rivers or creeks or waterfalls or from rain, who are um, hunting for their meat and foraging for their plant foods, who sit on the ground and sit around a campfire, who spend their evenings making their spear or their spearhead or talking or making baskets or making rope or cordage or tanning leather and having stories and dance and song and celebration and ceremony and living in a band of approximately between 20 to 60 people averaging about 50 people living in that family well it's not a family group but it's a close-knit group and interacting with other tribes or clans of similar size and knowing the animals and plants that they live amongst like the back of their hand, having absolutely detailed understanding, knowledge, empathy, feelings for the plants and animals, going to bed about a couple of hours after sunset, sunset, waking up at dawn, no artificial light, no artificial sounds. The loudest sound they would be hearing would be about 75 decibels, which would be an earthquake or a herd of wildebeest rumbling past, whereas we listen to leaf blowers, chainsaws, announcements on public transport, people talking loudly on their mobile phones, airplanes going by, traffic sounds, all of which are much louder than that. We also have neon lights on the entire night. We have floodlights for sports after dark. We look at blue screens, blue light-emitting screens all day long. Uh, from our computers and laptops and phones and TVs. We work under artificial light. We're exposed to wavelengths of light, the blue part of the spectrum, and brightnesses of light at times of the day in the evening when we're supposed to be gearing down towards sleep. And those blue lights that we're exposed to tell our brains and our bodies that oh, is it nighttime? Maybe it's daytime. I'm not sure. So then you don't know which hormones to produce, the cortisol to manage your day or the melatonin to put you to sleep. 
And then when we wake up in the morning, we could conceivably go straight from indoors in our house to indoors in our car to indoors at the office and not have our skin and our eyes exposed to sunlight, thus signaling that it's daytime. Many of us work night shifts. All this totally disrupts the hormonal system, makes um, your cortisol and melatonin completely out of balance, a lot of other changes. That's just one thing. We're eating a diet um, completely different to what we're designed to eat. We're eating highly processed carbs in large quantities. When you think about a typical breakfast, breakfast cereal, highly processed carbs, toast, highly processed carbs, then sandwiches for lunch, highly processed carbs, or maybe we had some biscuits or cake for morning tea, highly processed carbs. In the evening, pasta, highly processed carbs, or a pizza, highly processed carbs, or some pie, highly processed carbs, multiple times for days, uh, per day. These are all foods that, well, highly processed didn't exist at all. Carbohydrates existed, but they were not eaten in anywhere near the volume. And there's a completely different thing when you eat a carbohydrate that's still in the plant that it came from. So it's still in the root vegetable or the potato-like vegetable that was found versus a carb that's been processed in a factory and turned into flour where all the cell structures have been destroyed and it turns straight to sugar. There was honey, but how often would they have eaten honey? Certainly not five times a day. Um, then there's movement. We have a tiny, we use a tiny, tiny percentage of the movement capabilities that we have. Human beings are all, all healthy, normal human beings are capable of running the equivalent of an ultra marathon. It's not unusual. It's perfectly normal. It was done. Walking miles upon miles without thinking about it, crawling through the underbush, rolling over, throwing, catching, lifting heavy objects, picking, carrying a carcass home from something you hunted, carrying baskets or armloads of, of things you foraged, pounding things for cooking purposes, um, sharpening spears, which is pretty muscular, tanning leather, if anyone's ever tried it, is a very physical activity. So very physically active, but in um, it's the range of movement, the whole bodiness of it. We tend to move in a few directions, mostly forward and backward, not so much twisting. We go to the gym and we essentially do things that are also in the sagittal plane, forward and backward, with a little bit of rotation, a little bit of side flexion, but not very much. But we hardly ever get down on the ground. We don't sit on the ground. We don't get up and down off the ground. That's a whole range. It's like a macronutrient that's missing from our diet. That's a whole range of things that we just never do. We don't hang from trees, from tree branches, and we don't use our arms for climbing. And our arms are weak, and we use them only forwards of ourselves. So all this lack of movement means that we're not circulating our blood properly. 
our heart's doing all the work of pumping the blood around the body when actually it's supposed to be shared from the heart and the muscles and the movement and we're not circulating our lymphatics so we're more prone to infection and lymphatic conditions as add to all that that we're exposed to toxins there's heavy metals everywhere mercury lead cadmium and arsenic are all over the place um, we've obviously got mercury in our amalgams if we've got amalgams, but then it's also in the fish, it's in vaccinations, used to be. I think they've taken it out of most of them. Um, but it's still in the areas, in the soils, it's around, it's in the water, uh, it's residue from industry, and the other um, heavy metals I mentioned are as well. Then there's plastics. Plastics are in the food chain. The food's kept in plastic. It's wrapped in plastic. There's drinks in plastic. There's pesticides. There's glyphosate. The amount of glyphosate in our diet has exponentially increased ever since genetically modified crops were invented because that is the whole point of inventing genetically modified crops is so that you can get away with spraying them very heavily with glyphosate without killing the actual crop. And so ever since that was invented, the amount of glyphosate sprayed all over grass crops is humongous, particularly with wheat, where they not only spray it to prevent um, pests, but they also spray it before harvest because it dries the wheat and makes it easier to harvest. So if you're eating wheat, unless it's organic, you're eating a large amount of glyphosate. It's also on the football oval or in the park, it's everywhere. And then there's all the other pesticides and things that are put on the fruit and vegetables. Um, if you eat meat or beef from conventionally raised cattle, you're ingesting antibiotics because they have been routinely fed antibiotics in the feedlots. You're also ingesting glyphosate from that meat because those animals were fed corn and other grains that are not designed to be eaten by cows. So the cows are actually ill when you eat them, when they're slaughtered because they've spent three and four months in a feedlot eating an unnatural diet. And the, um, the unnatural diet, the grains, is covered in glyphosate too. So you've got that in the meat and it tends to concentrate in the fat in particular. And, of course, the same is true for battery hens. So if you're eating conventionally raised chickens, then um, they're full of antibiotics and glyphosate and they're ill and have led a hideous life. The same with pigs. Now, you can get grass-fed, free-range, organic, and those are completely fine. They don't contain, well, if they do, it's much less. Um, medications and antibiotics that we're exposed to that affect all sorts of things. They give us um, hypersensitivity reactions. They change our skin's reactivity to the sunlight. They upset the microbiome in the gut and on the skin, which uh, makes you more um, prone to diseases. Uh, the water that we have is full of chlorine. And then there's a whole bunch of issues with electrosmog, so dirty electricity and Wi-Fi. So in other words, we're exposed to a whole bunch of things that are not good for us and we were designed we evolutionarily evolved it's a tautology um 
to live a completely different life. So it's no wonder. It's no wonder that these diseases are, are prevalent and increasing or that there are such diseases. On top of all this toxic burden that I've just mentioned, we also are ingesting far fewer nutrients because our diets, as I said, are very filled with um, highly processed grains. And if you eat a lot of highly processed grains, that takes up all your food budget, so you're less hungry for eating other things which actually do contain nutrients, such as properly raised meat uh, or animal foods, I should say, um, and plant foods that don't contain toxins. So you're less likely to be able to eat enough of those to get your nutrients because you're filling yourself up with things that bloat you and fill you up. Then we're not getting the variety in our um, plant and animal foods. Um, Hunter-gatherer people would eat something like two or 300 different species of plant and animal, whereas we're eating about 10 species of plant and about five species of animal foods. So there's a huge mismatch, and that is what I mean by mismatch. Um, obviously, I'm going to, this is just a little introduction to the topic. We, I can talk more about the different specifics. I was just giving a broad overview, but the main point I was trying to get across is what do we mean by a mismatch and why is that important? And it's not to suggest that we should all immediately give up civilization, burn everything to the ground and go back to living a natural life. It's A, impossible to do, and B, not necessary. We don't even need to aspire to be as healthy as those hunter-gatherer peoples. If we aspire to be even half as healthy as they were, that'll be a massive improvement on what we've got right now. And there are some simple, easy things we can do. All we need to do is move the dial a little bit more towards being and living a natural life, towards leading the life that we evolved to live. We don't have to turn the clock back. We don't have to make drastic changes. It's really quite straightforward. And lastly, I just want to dispel one myth that's quite commonplace. Hunter-gatherers have an average life expectancy, which is lower than ours, because so many of them died at a young age. Like all wild animals, a lot of young die in stages of from birth to one, there's a lot of deaths, and then up to five, there's a lot more deaths, and then between five and ten, there's a whole bunch more, and probably settles down around 15 or 20, where you're less likely to be as vulnerable to predators and to cold exposure and accidents, and um, the death rate would reduce. So because so many died young, of course that's going to skew the average life expectancy to a lower number, but it's not like they just drop dead when they're 35. That's ridiculous. When um, colony, colonists came to Australia and first met with Aboriginal people who were living a completely hunter-gatherer lifestyle, um, they were old people. There were plenty of elders. Elders are an integral part of that society. Um, if you survived to be over 15 or 20, you had every chance of living to be 60 or 70 or possibly more. Nobody knows for sure. 
Um, so that is a total misunderstanding, people who say, oh, but didn't they die when they were 40? No, um, that's nonsense. So, and, and they, when they did survive to be 60 or 70, they were as healthy as anything. They were not like 60 or 70-year-olds are in our culture. They could still run an ultramarathon and they would be almost as fast as a person in their 20s. Not quite, but pretty close. If you've read Born to Run, Christopher McDougall's book, um, ultramarathon runners who are in their 60s are only about 5% slower than ultramarathon runners in their 20s. There's nothing about being 60 or 70 that means you have to lose your marbles and go deaf and become unable to do up your shoelaces or to get up and down off the ground and start stooping forward and being stiff and having pain all the time. There's nothing about being that age that makes that happen. It's about how you spent your years, how you lived, and that's all modifiable, that's all changeable and partially reversible to a large extent. So anyway, that's all I'm going to say for today. Hope you've enjoyed the show and I'll talk to you soon.